Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. Our hurdle at this point is just the fact that we were a 70 plus year startup. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming to Good Company, Eden Bridgewater Sklenner, the owner, chairwoman, and CEO of Ebony and Jet. Since 1945, Ebony Magazine has shined a spotlight on the worlds of Black people in America and worldwide. Today, Ebony is still one of the most relevant and recognizable brands committed to making information a lifestyle. But I will tell you that whilst Ebony Magazine has been around since 1945, Eden has not. But I have become good friends with Eden in a very short time. And I know that as you listen to Eden, you'll all become friends with Eden. So Eden, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored for this conversation today. I would love if you could start by kind of giving our audience a bit of your background and how you've charted your path, both personally and professionally. Absolutely. So I love to tell people that what makes me, I think, me is the fact that I was born in Los Angeles. So I feel there's always been that sense of the Hollywood entertainment aspects of what's buried deep inside of me. But I had the fortune and opportunity to grow up in Louisville, Kentucky. So that afforded me the Southern hospitality aspects of my personality. So the conflicts of Los Angeles and Louisville have a fun way of coming out. But for me, I also, it's unique that my father played in the NBA, especially during a time when they weren't making the type of money that you see NBA players making now. And so for him, once he was done with his 12 years of playing, he had to figure out life after. They didn't make enough money to just, you know, ride your NBA contract. And so he got into uh, the restaurant industry. And for my family and for myself, over my 36 young years of life, I've been fortunate enough to witness my parents build our family business. But for me, like all kids, I had no desire to work in the restaurant industry. I thought I was going to go to New York after high school and go to either Parsons or FIT. And I was getting into the fashion industry. I didn't know how or what, but that was what I was going to do. That was your North Star. It really was. I think just being in Louisville, obviously not a fashion capital of the world. But a great city. Yes, 100%. I learned a long time ago, you have to pronounce it properly. You and I talked yes. about it, pronunciation, but Louisville, because I once said to somebody, I'm going, I'm going to Louisville. And they said, no, you're not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, for some reason, I don't know why we pronounce it that way, but it's our, our Southern way of just swallowing that word. There you go. So Eden, you chartered that North Star towards fashion. So as you were on that journey, you know, I kind of interrupted you. I think like seeing these images of the fashion industry through either the pages of obviously Ebony, but 
also other publications, what they didn't tell you is what maybe an entry-level position out of college in the fashion world was going to make. And I said, you know, maybe this dream of mine at this present moment isn't necessarily worth a 30000 a year salary kind of living with 10 roommates in New York. So right. I pivoted and I went to University of Louisville as my undergrad and went into the family business after because I graduated in 2008, which was a wonderful time of the not, country being in a recession. And, yeah, everything. and my parents said, I could do anything, but I was going to work. That's part of our family DNA. We started working at very young ages. I love to tease them that were their child labor laws possibly broken? They say no, because they, we were working for the family business. So it's a, a well, but I'm with you because it's funny you say that Eden. One of the things I said to one of my children as they were growing up, this was the one who ended up in, you know, was desirous of and, and aspirational about being in the movie business. And when he graduated from college, he said, I'm going to move to New York. And I said, well, that's great. But if you really want to be in the movie business, you know, you are from LA, you might want to think about LA because that is the center, not that there isn't an ability and an opportunity in the movie business in New York. I'm not saying there isn't, but you kind of would come to where the center of it is. I said, because you understand, regardless of the economic, you know, well-being of the family or not, you're not moving to New York and not working. Yep. Like you're not going to New York and not getting a job. So you're going to have to find a job. Yeah. And if you want to be in the entertainment business, my bet is you're going to try to find a job in the entertainment business. And all I would say is probably more opportunities to do that in LA. Yeah. Call me crazy. But I had that same dialogue with my kids. Like you're not just going to New York to not work yes. and, and find yourself. That's not happening. This is in a gap year. Not yeah. that a gap year is a bad thing, but this isn't a gap year. This is you're you're out of school. You're going to work. Although I really would love to, if I would have even known about gap, I, the idea. I'm with of you, by the year, way. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I wonder how my parents would have responded to that. But yeah, you know, people ask me if I had a gap year. I said no. I had a gap minute. Yeah. Oh, I don't even think I had that. The night of my college graduation, we're out to dinner, and my father said, "Okay, now." You graduated. What's happening next? <laughs> what's, and I said, "Where's the paycheck?" Yeah. Like, give me a second. He said, "No, absolutely not. You, it's time to work. It's time oh, to go right. to work." Yeah, no, no, no. Listen, I have the same view, but I will say, and then we can certainly move on to the current time. But you know, I do think that that gap year opportunity is something that I wished I had because yeah. I never had that moment to smell the roses. And you know, I it was I was on a mission, and and sounds like you were as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I had my, I'd say, gap time later in life. I went into the family business. I moved to Chicago because I knew I wanted to just see something else than being underneath kind of the shadow of my my parents, our family business here in Louisville, Kentucky. And so living in Chicago, then the next part was 100% my parents saying you needed higher education. And especially if you're going to be in business, you need a network of sorts. And so I did that. And they allowed me to focus in on school versus having to work. And so I feel I was able to kind of smell the roses a little bit later and really determine what I wanted to do if I was going to be in business. And so I kind of obviously stayed working with my family business, but always had my eyes out seeing what was going to be exactly mine. And 
Little did I know that the brands Ebony and Jed were going to be my future as far as being a full-on entrepreneur, contributing to my family business, and setting a new path for myself both professionally, but also personally, because I was going to be moving into a space that made me have to step out even more into the public eye since the restaurant industry, you can very much stay in the back of the house and ride that wave. So, yeah. Well, you rode the wave well. You've been on a journey now, Eden, with Ebony and Ebony Media in general to kind of take that legacy brand and bring it into the digital era, if you will. Mm -hmm. I'd love to understand that part of your journey. <laughs> uh, well, how much time do you have? No, but we've got some time. Well, I can tell you how it even came to be, I think, really sets the stage as to why I pursued it. We can all remember where we were in the middle of the summer of 2020. We were sheltering in place, trying to understand this pandemic, this virus that was affecting so many individuals. But we were also dealing with the racial uprising with George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor, and being someone who grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and Breonna Taylor being front and center for that city at that time, I witnessed that there was a missing voice throughout that entire time frame. And my family, we have quarterly business meetings. And my father brought to the table the opportunity to purchase these assets out of bankruptcy, because sadly, that's what had happened to them, and also sadly for the second time. And I just felt for the impact that these brands had had for generations, myself included, how could they not have survived? Like, what was it that they couldn't transition or understand as the landscape changed from a magazine to the digital era? And even because so many brands had to do that and reimagine. And to me, you can look at the vaunted names if we were creating the Hall of Fame of publications and print publications, obviously, originally, the usual suspects would be on that list. But Ebony would definitely be on that list. Yeah. And the There's no doubt in terms of <laughs> yeah. not just because of the niche, but because it's it's a brand that had and now again does have real resonance. But if I was thinking of coming up with, in my mind, mm -hmm. top 10 magazine titles that I would think of, sure, it would be Time Magazine. And at my age, I would be Life Magazine and even mm -hmm. Look Magazine and Newsweek. And, but Ebony would be in that top 10. There is no doubt about it of brands that I would think of that represented the legacy yes. of, of print media. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the fact that the ones that you have said so many that would be part of that list made that transition into- And so many didn't. Exactly, yes. But there isn't another Ebony, there isn't another Jet that has ever been created. And so I felt, I understand business. I have the support of business operations. I just had to find a team that could bring their expertise in the digital era to these brands and say, we can start- with over 70 years of IP, of a brand equity and awareness, let's go out and create a new business. And that's what the past two years have been of understanding what the brands are, how they really are understood in the, the landscape today, 
but reimagining what they can be for the future. Well, and, and also, you know, we're in an era right now, and I use that word again, we're in a, an era right now where there's a growing appetite, if you will, for what we would call, I think, probably we'd agree, unintentional media investment mm-hmm. to create a more kind of inclusive and diverse advertising environment. The aperture has been opened by the investment side of the business to be looking at Black-owned businesses yes. as a place that intentionally we need to be investing more media and more attention, yes. intentionally intention and attention to the space for obvious reasons. You know, you listen to the marketers talk about the percentages and then Mark Pritchard from Procter & Gamble last October made the statement that we're past the day, at least he was speaking about Procter, we're past the day of thinking of it as a multicultural market and a Latinx market and a black Uh market and a general market. That is the general market. Let's talk in real terms, the general market is now all of those constituencies that were previously thought of as, well, that's the black market, that's the Latinx market, that's the LGBTQ market. No, that's the general market. That is what we're all looking at. And I think that's an important point. However, you also have the benefit of the aftermath of George Floyd and the awareness that that created of so many things. But one was the lack of investment in black owned businesses. And, you know, that is a card that is a great card to be playing right now because people are leaning in as opposed to leaning back. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't write the timing of our acquisition and what's happening in the world in the marketplace any better. I mean, we took over these brands, January, 2021, you have all the corporations making their pledges. You have all the agencies saying, we're going to hold the clients that we are representing to a certain percentage as well. So I say our hurdle at this point is just the fact that we were a 70 plus year startup. The brands buying them out of bankruptcy all previous employees had been furloughed. So we started day one, hiring, recruiting, trying to find the best talent to bring to this vision of what Ebony was, but also what it needs to be moving right. forward. Yeah, you can be steeped in the history, but you're looking forward, which is what, what attracted me to this conversation was, you know, the beauty of it is, as I said, you have a willing, you have a right to win now, in mm-hmm. effect. And because the marketplace is, as I said, leaning in for the right reasons, I think, in most cases, not because they have to, but what they were forced to do was be more uh, aware. Yes. What they were forced to do is be more aware. Nobody actually forces you to then take the next step. But those responsible marketers are looking at it and saying, this is not just good for that. It's good for business. Like, that's going to drive my business. And I can see that in a meaningful way. And therefore, why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I be spending more A and B from the consumer perspective? And and I'm going to shut up in a minute and let you answer me, I promise. But um, (laughs) I can't promise I'll shut up, but I'll, I'll (laughs) I'll talk less and listen more. But the upshot of it is no different than the see her movement that the industry launched with the ANA to, you know, avoid the objectification of women and the things that were also very important from a gender perspective, the tagline there was the one that caught me, which was you have to see her to be her. 
And that's true of, of every community. Uh-huh. If you can't see yourself in that position, if you can't have that aspiration, because we all have goals, we all have, you know, North Stars. If you can't envision yourself on that planet of the North Star, then you're never going to get there. And uh-huh. so the idea of bringing that to the community is you're doing something that's critically important to the community culturally, as well as economically and business-wise and the feasibility and the efficacy of all of that. You're doing good. You know, when you say it, I'm like, oh, wow. Like it just, it felt like, is that everything that like, I feel this weight, but no, but you are, you are correct. I, I, I wake up every day in a position to steward not just, yes, a legacy publication or a legacy in the sense of what Ebony was, but I have the responsibility now to steward this for what the future looks like for representation for our target audience and connecting the brand in a way that expands the understanding of upward mobility for people of African descent. Like at the heart of what I do every day is trying to find more opportunities to connect Ebony with that mission. And that's the fun part because unlike maybe years ago where it was maybe harder to find and to see we have social media, we have individuals also making sure that their voices are heard. So connecting the dots becomes much easier now than probably it did to previous individuals who had the same task with Ebony. So let me ask you a question, Eden. What attracted me to, again, to this conversation, I've said that before, but I'll say it again, was your acknowledgement of the fact that many marketers whilst they want to try, don't know how to approach this market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't want to, and they shouldn't want to look like they're pandering to a market or just ticking a box or, you know, you want to avoid that at all costs because we're in a world where the consumer looks through that and doesn't see authenticity. So how do you advise brands? This is the way to be authentic with this audience. I think it's, First, acknowledging that that is a blind spot for their organization. I think so many times within that dialogue, that's not something that a brand wants to be vulnerable enough to say. So first, even acknowledging is step one. Step two is to actually listen. If we are a representation of this audience, you understand their purchasing power allow that brand, Ebony, to be the one that comes to you with the ideas of collaboration. Yes, we have to understand that a brand has certain pillars and objectives and how they measure things. But that idea of authenticity has to be led by the partner, which is Ebony, and that we have to hold ourselves accountable to how do we make sure that the things that we're putting out in the marketplace, A, yes, are aligned with the brand, but also that we are very much focused on that consumer because you said they will let you know and they have a number of ways now than previously to let you know whether they feel you connected something to them and that we're still talking to them um, in a way that impacts their lives, that is entertaining, that challenges them in a way that pushes them to be better. And so 
I think we sit in a very interesting seat, but it really is for that brand to listen and to allow us to lead. And let me ask you a question. That's a great point. It's kind of like if you go to a doctor or a lawyer, I was a lawyer for the first 10 years. I practiced law. I'm still a lawyer, but I practiced law for the first 10 years of my life. Clients would come to me and ask me for my advice. And whilst I didn't insist that they listen to me, I'd kind of say, listen, I'm, this is the advice you asked for. Exactly. Let me, let me help you. It's the same thing as when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, this is the diagnosis. doesn't mean you don't get another opinion. You know, my favorite joke there was Rodney Dangerfield, the famous comedian who used to have that. His shtick was, I don't get no respect, right? Mm -hmm. That was his thing. And he said he went to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist gave him the diagnosis. And the psychiatrist said, you're crazy. And he said, well, I'd like another opinion. And the guy said, okay, you're ugly. So, you know, but I'm bummed, Okay. But you are correct in the sense of the the authority that we hold. You're you're the doctor in this case. Exactly. I'm to you we, saying, I have a problem, doctor. It hurts over here. And you're telling me this is how you can put a salve on that wound. This is how you can heal this by doing it that way. If I don't choose to listen to you, okay, but I'm probably going to miss the mark then. And I'm going to still suffer from the same pain. Exactly. But I would say... The other side of that that I have challenged our team with, one, because I came from the brand side previously. So I very much understand being on the other side of the table and telling someone how the media should run and where it should go and all of those those aspects. And the one thing that I think because of having that side of my career journey I have to find the right ways to convey our return on investment to brands. Absolutely. But, and it's not going to be the way that I think it historically has been because the world is changing and measuring an audience engagement and such is totally different now than it used to be. Exactly. Yeah. But we have to be able to come to brands with the research and the data which is something, unfortunately, in Black-owned media hasn't necessarily always been something we could provide. But now, again, being someone who is used to having the brand insights and such of what our consumer on the restaurant side is saying, I have to give that also to and, our- and, and Eden, I'll let you in on a little secret and our listeners in on a little secret. Before I went into the media business, my experience in the media business, interestingly enough, was I did own a chain of fast food restaurants. Really? Uh, I I did. I did. I owned a very large swath of the El Pollo Loco chain. I love it. And the reason I used to be in Louisville on Shelbyville Road was I was a large franchisee of uh, Rally's Hamburgers. But the reason I bring that up is my first experience in the media business, and here I'm somebody who would be considered somewhat of an expert in the media mm-hmm. business absolutely. as a client owning fast food restaurants, quick service, shall we say quick mm-hmm. service restaurants and having to understand the media because it was my money. Exactly. Like, yes. I was actually spending my money yes. <laughs> on literally like these spots and dots, if you will. And so mm-hmm. I had to understand it and get underneath it. So you and I come at the media business from exactly the same place. You were doing Chili's and Wendy's. I was doing El Pollo Loco and, and Rally's hamburgers, but similar stuff. 
So we, we're bonded in more ways than you know. I love it. I see you talk to someone long enough and you learn we're more alike than we ever, ever understand. Amen to that. <laughs> I can tell you if that was a Jeopardy question, I would have 100% lost out. Well, on can I tell you the best Jeopardy question? This is funny because it goes to the quick service restaurant business. So years ago, when we had one of our openings, we hired some out of work, struggling actors to put on chicken costumes uh -huh. to come to the opening of one of our restaurants. And it happened to be that we went to Western Costume Rental and got the chicken costumes from Stir Crazy from the movie with uh -huh. Richard Pryor and uh -huh. Gene Wilder. And they were, it was a very funny movie back in that era, in that time period. Anyway, long story short, we hired this actor. I don't, who knows from where. It turned out that that actor was Brad Pitt. Stop it. And if you go online right now, all of our listeners, and you type in what was Brad Pitt's first job, it will tell you that it was wearing a chicken costume at an El Pollo Loco restaurant. And of course, later on in life, I didn't know it because he was just an out-of-work actor. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, his name was not relevant at that time. Yeah. I don't mean to say that to be rude, but here's the chicken costume, put it on, thank you. And later on, I'm reading the paper or People magazine or something, and it says, you know, as they do with celebrities, what was your first job? And he says, I was a chicken, I wore a chicken costume at an El Pollo Loco restaurant. And when I met Brad later in life, we made the connection. So it's just funny, you know, what was your first job? I was a chicken at El Pollo Loco. So there you go. I love it. One, because I think, A, it speaks to, you never know someone's journey. And I'm sure- Amen to that. Present moment, Whomever, you know, we see all the time where the stories of, you know, someone who maybe was a janitor and then wasn't treated well and then ends up being the CEO of that corporation. And it actually has been something that is, is foundational on how our family business has been set up where we say we're in the people business. We just so happen to be in media, in the beverage industry, food and hospitality and such. And we treat individuals with the idea of the inverted pyramid, where the CEO is at the bottom and the guest or those in the hierarchy of society would be the least, we say are the greatest, because you never know. That person has their own journey. And to treat each person you come in contact with, with the same respect, if they were Brad Pitt now, if meeting Brad Pitt uh, in the chicken costume, would you have treated him the same? But you never know that interaction could have been later in life, something that he remembered and said, yep, I would love to do your movie. I would love to partner with you over here. It's so apropos. And thank you for bringing me back because, you know, my tendency is just to go off and riff into stories. And you brought the Brad Pitt story back to the center of, you know, people's journeys. And, and it's important. And what you're doing and let me find a way to kind of weave this in. But what you're doing is you've had the good fortune of doing well. And now I believe you're on the path of doing good, but you're mm -hmm. also doing well. Yes. Because what you're doing is important for the market. What you're doing is important for the brands. And what you're doing is important for you because you've made an investment to buy these brands. And so you have a reason to want them to succeed. Obviously, that's yeah. called capitalism <laughs> and that's okay. Yes, absolutely. I'm a fan of that. I'm a big fan of that. But, you know, the idea of the timing, as you said, one couldn't have come up with better timing to reinvigorate, reanimate, reimagine these 
vaunted brands. Those are all words that I think would be applicable here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're in a world where content of all sorts is the most important driver we have. Yes. And being close to where content is created and working with people who are authentically able to create that kind of content, that's magic. And that's why I would think Ebony and Jet is lined up for great success because you're at the right time, at the right place, with the right message and the right goods. You, yeah. you got the goods. That's the important part. It's not, hey, we could build this or we can make this important. You have important brands and partnering with other important brands is magic. Exactly. And I would, I'm going to have you just go around and say it for me. You say it so, so well, I don't have to say it myself. Well, you say it brilliantly, Eden, and, and I'm excited for what's ahead. And I appreciate you spending time with me this morning. And I know our listeners will share that same view because your journey is not one that's the normal journey. You've had a, an interesting journey with, you know, some left turns and right turns, but it seems like you ended up with that North Star you were going for in fashion. You found it in in uh, publishing and in digital and in content and in marketing and in messaging and all of those things. Absolutely. It's, it. you know, you think uh, life is going to go one way and that's why I just, one of the things, especially you can get overwhelmed in this seat of thinking, you know, what do I need to do next year? And, and yes, you have to plan, but just living what is today going to bring and focusing on that allows the being present because five years from now, I'll have to look back. I won't necessarily have the pleasure of just being in this moment of the new and starting and the left turns we already have made over two years. Um, and so it's, it's a good time to be in the seat that I'm in. I won't even lie to you. Well, you wear it well. And by the way, the fashion side of your North Star, just looking at you, you you've still got that. You still got the fashion stuff going on. My husband is like, oh gosh, like what did I now sign up with with it? Because yeah, every day I get to live out a dream that I just didn't realize would come in this packaging. So yes, I I love fashion, and Ebony gets to to tap into that love. Eden, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks and yes. I'm excited that we got a chance to get to know each other and I'm equally excited for our listeners to get to know you a little better. So Eden, I want to thank you for joining me on Good Company today. No, thank you for having me. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 